Well, good morning, Redemption Church. How's everyone this morning? What, what a better song to, to, to open up to, Eye of the Tiger, right? Isn't that just awesome? Uh, it's great. So uh, just for those of you that are new, uh, I know we've got a lot of new faces these days, which is awesome. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the elders. Uh, to use Build the Hoops line, a youngish elder of, uh, of RC. <laughs> um, and uh, so I only get the chance to come up here every now and again, but uh, a couple of times a year. But when I do, I like to talk about church multiplication and about mission. Um, and uh, like to highlight one of our uh, teams that we have out there. And, and if, you, if you're not aware, we, we support actually um, four different teams out different parts of the world, Micronesia, um, Indonesia, Bolivia, and Mozambique. Um, and uh, this morning, I'd like to tell you about Ben and Sadie Kelm, uh, who are in Bolivia, um, doing some fantastic work there. And uh, I, I got the opportunity to talk to Ben this past week. Um, he, luckily, he's got a Vonage phone that forwards to his phone over there in Bolivia. And, uh, but we had, a, had the opportunity for, to speak for about 45 minutes and got a really good feel for what they were doing over there and what their needs were and what their praises and their prayer requests were. And um, so one of the big things that they're doing uh, there in, uh, in, in Bolivia, in, in the town that they're living in, the, they're kind of in a larger city, and they, they go out to different parts of the, of the countryside. Um, but Ben has been learning the Quechua language, um, which is, is really a, a very different language. It's really hard to understand. Uh, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of Spanish that's in there and some other, other parts that it just is really confusing to me as one who's, who's I've taken some Spanish, and this doesn't sound anything like it. So he's done a fantastic job. In fact, he's uh, um, attained a level of, uh, it was a level eight within the Quechua language. It was just like an eighth degree black belt. He's more than proficient within this language. Um, and the whole time when, they, when, he, when they, uh, they moved to Bolivia, they met up with some people there uh, to, to learn the Quechua language. And so the, the men that he met with that had been teaching him this language, now that he has become proficient, he has turned around and started preaching the gospel to these guys. And, and this is a very legalistic society, uh, very kind of animistic and a lot of spirituality, but not gospel-centered spirituality. And, and so he's got this wonderful opportunity to teach these guys the gospel, and he's really discipling these guys to go out and replicate that out in the countryside. These guys can go out and, and live within the context and preach the gospel within the context of, of, uh, of, of those people. Um, and so they're moving relatively slowly, but necessarily uh, needs to be slow, where uh, they spend 10 weeks going through one chapter in Genesis. And, and these guys read it over and over and over again. And, and this is a, a culture where People don't ask a lot of questions. There's a very high level of respect of teachers and, and professors. And so they don't, he's trying to break them out of a position where they don't ask questions because he wants them to ask questions because he wants them to learn more. He wants to teach them. And uh, so he struggled with that a bit, but he's to the point now where these guys are, are asking a lot of questions and they are learning and they're just about to the point where they're going to go out each in their own different direction and start spreading that same message. Uh, that same gospel message. So a, a lot of amazing things happening there. Um, Sadie has, uh, has been uh, sick for the last year, um, and uh, they were unable to figure out exactly what was going on with her, and they finally got with a really, really good doctor, and they found that she had been living with a parasite, 
uh, and she had a vitamin deficiency on top of that, so it made her very lethargic and, and sick for quite a while. But now they've gotten with a doctor, they found out what it was. She's been on medication for the last couple months, and she is healthy and not lethargic and, and doing wonderfully, so that's a, that's a huge praise God moment for that. And uh, uh, as far as prayer requests, they're going to be coming back to the States uh, next month, actually, and going to be here for a little bit. Um, and one of the things that they plan on doing while they're here is, is trying to fundraise. They have been living at about 60 to 70 percent of their uh, of their full funding, so it's been really really tough on them. In fact, actually, uh, Ben kind of described it to me like this. He said it's like you going into your office every morning and having to wade through a foot of water in your office and clean off your desk and get everything straightened up before you can do any work at all. And he says it's like living like that. You just have to get through all of the, the, the muck and the ugliness of the day in order just to do the work that, that you're being called to do. And uh, so they're coming up, and we'll bring them up on stage whenever they get here, and everybody will have a chance to, to introduce yourselves and get to know them. Uh, just fantastic people. Ben's got just a huge, huge heart for the gospel um, and for the people over there in, uh, in Bolivia. And so it's, it's uh, going to be a really neat opportunity to, to get with them and, and learn a little bit more about them and, and hopefully get them to a point where um, they can continue doing God's work over there uh, with, uh, with some additional funding. So, so this morning, uh, as we come out of Eye of the Tiger, and we come out of one of my favorite songs in the world, um, you know, here in the power of Christ I stand, we, we come into uh, 2 Timothy. Um, so for the last few weeks, we've been in, in, in 1 Timothy, but we come into 2 Timothy and talk about standing and what it means to stand for your faith. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll see what, uh, what the Lord's got for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the energy that is in this room, for, for you, Holy Spirit, that is here, that is present, as we lift up your, uh, your praises, uh, as we learn about you, as we desire you, as we seek you. And Father, I just pray that, um, uh, that these are your words, Lord, that is your message that comes across through all of this and not my own, not our own, not anybody's here, that, that we, don't, we don't work anything into this message, that we take Paul's words as doctrine, as, as truth. So we thank you this morning, Lord, for being here, for being present. We thank you for your grace, for your peace, for your mercy in our lives, everything that you do in our lives every day. Help us to recognize that, Lord, and help us to live within it and live within you, Lord Jesus. I mention your name. Amen. So uh, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we have been uh, working in 1 Timothy, and it's been the Warrior Series. Um, and uh, you can find those all online if you, if you uh, did miss any of them, and you can go back and look. So Pastor Matt has walked us through the first book of Timothy with, uh, with the Warrior Message, and then the Warrior Church, uh, Warrior Example, Spirit, and last week the Warrior Agenda. And then today we, we dive into 2 Timothy. Um, so if you have your Bibles or, or your, your iPhone, Windows phone, iPad, whatever it might be, open up to, to 2 Timothy and some of the words will be up here on screen. And if, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to have one, we have some out at the information counter or information table that we would love to give away. So it's our desire that, that you have one and, and take it home with you and open it and, uh, and read it. So to set a little background on, on where we are here in 2 Timothy, Paul is in prison. 
Um, this is probably written around the AD 67 or 68. We'll go into a little history lesson here. Uh, but uh, So it was probably written around the year of AD 67 or 68, and this was soon after um, Emperor Nero had, had lit fire to the city of Rome. Uh, so there was a, a very large fire, and um, it, it's been said, been written by several different, uh, several different uh, historians from, the, from that time that said that Nero said it, in one, for his own entertainment, real cool, and also to build himself a bigger palace. Uh, so he set fire to Rome, and then he blamed the Christians for it. Um, so he was already a, a large persecutor of the Christians. He, he put out these decrees to have a lot of Christians um, murdered, and, and it's actually said that um, within his gardens at night, in order for light, he lit Christians on fire uh, in order to light up the garden space. So he was not a very, uh, not a very nice guy, um, to say the least. So... Uh, so Paul is living within this. He's been, he's been arrested. He's sitting in prison. He's in a Roman prison. And he's sitting there and decides to write a letter to, to Timothy. And uh, you've got to imagine, I mean, I, I don't know if I can even imagine what he's thinking at that time. He knows that he's going to be executed. He, he knows what his future is. You know, as he's sitting there in this dark, dank, wet prison cell, um, that it, it's, it's not comfortable, he's cold, um, he, he more than likely doesn't have you know, his outer cloak or his clothes or whatever, so he's in a very uncomfortable place. And, um, but then he still finds the power within him, and, and, and we'll get into that in, in kind of like the song that we sang, In the Power of Christ We Stand. He finds, finds it within him to write this letter to, uh, to Timothy. And uh, he, he, wants to, he desires to, to faithfully direct uh, Timothy, who he considers a spiritual son. Um, he wants to direct him to the hope that is in Christ. Now, he knows Timothy really well, and we see that back in Acts, where, um, in Acts 16, where, where Paul comes across Timothy, and, and he, he wants to bring Timothy with him on his, on his journeys, and he does. Um, and, and so he knows Timothy really well, and he wants to further, further direct him into, into the hope that is in Christ. So he, he calls him to be bold. He calls him to endure. Um, he calls him to be faithful in the face of false teachings and, and to remember sound doctrine. And, and later on in, in 2 Timothy, we'll read that, that, Timothy, or that Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and that it is useful and, and profitable. Um, and... and he desires to pass on this, this ability, this need, this desire to create a legacy of, of faith and, and for him to stand resolute in what he believes in. And so oftentimes, you know, we talk about the word stand and standing up for something, and it's this posture of, of uh, you know, gut sucked in, chest up proud, standing in opposition to um, in opposition to tyranny. And, that, and that's some of what I'm sure Paul was thinking here. And at that time, there were a lot of Christians that thought Nero was the Antichrist. And so, so Paul is here in prison and yet still standing in opposition to the, to the tyranny of, uh, of Nero. A lot of funny things happening this morning. I was wondering why my foot kept sticking to the floor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so Paul wants to just pass on to Timothy, wants to express his wishes, pass on, pass on his desire 
uh, for, for Jesus and for, for his knowledge. And this is kind of like, this is like a last will and testament. If you've ever been part of the reading of a will um, and that anybody has put in some personal information in there, it's powerful. I mean, these are the last wishes of somebody, the last desires before they leave the earth. And now, Paul knows where he's going, right? He knows that he's eventually going to see Timothy again, but he knows that part of his ministry is going to dissolve, that, that as he's executed, friends, or before he's executed right now, friends are, are abandoning him for fear of persecution on their own. And, and so, you know, put your, yourself in that frame of mind of, of, of Paul, and, and he starts out in the first verse, making a stand right there and identifying who he is, saying, Paul, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So right off the bat, he says, I am an apostle. That's who I am. That's how I've identified myself. An apostle uh, actually is a, is a uh, derivation of the word apostelos, which, which in Greek was, was to send, a person that was sent from somebody else. And, and so Paul is right away identifying himself. I am sent. I am, I am sent out from someone. I am sent out by Jesus to go preach this message. He didn't say that I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher. He didn't say anything like that. The identity is that he is a sent individual. And, you know, I got stuck on that word as I was going through this message. It figures that I get stuck on the third or fourth word into the first, uh, the first verse. Um, but we are, are we not all called to that same calling? We're all called to live a sent life. One of, the, one of the foundations, one of the strong beliefs that we have as Redemption Church um, is, is to make missional theologians. Uh, and we've actually, I'm, I'm teaching a membership class coming up starting next week. So uh, as a quick little plug, if anybody's interested in becoming members and learning more about what it is that we desire of people and, and Jesus' desire for people to be missional theologians, you know, let me know, come join us. Um, but that, that is his desire for us is that we are always on mission. And now that looks different for everybody that's out here. Um, depending on your workplace environment, your home life, your, your extended family, whatever it might be, your school life, it looks different for everyone, but we were all called to be on mission. And this is probably one of the hardest things that we face uh, as Christians. We'll get a little into, um, a little deeper into that too here, into the, the, the being, not being ashamed part of it, but um, God calls us to preach his message regardless of our surroundings. We, what we should be doing is understanding the context and what it is that we're preaching. Like, like Ben and uh, Sadie over in Bolivia, they, the first thing that they needed to do was to become proficient in the Quechua language, right? So they couldn't drop into Bolivia, speak an entirely different language as a gringo, and expect, his words, not mine, and expect... Uh, Expect the people to follow him and to listen to him and to understand. So he had to understand the culture. You know, he had to understand the people that he was uh, working with, the people that were, that were teaching him. And so he, he took that uh, and, and, you know, as they were teaching him the language, he got to know them and understand who they are, what they like to do, what their family likes to do. They spent meals together. They spent time together. They pray together now. Um, they cry together over losses, over pain. And, and that's what God calls us to in our life. 
while, while this right here is what we're also, we also should be doing is gathering together as a body, as a church, but we're also sent out to go to others to preach that message. And in the workplace especially, this can be difficult, especially today when, when uh, you know, many people, HR departments say, well, you can't talk about this, you can't talk about that, and people get offended so easily today. But there's subversive ways that you could do it. I think I, actually the last time I was up here, I think I talked a little bit about this, is that there are, just, there are different ways that you can kind of reel people into conversations, or you can just be there whenever they have issues. The one thing I used to do is I always set a bowl of candy on my desk that, that people would always come and sit down and I would have conversations with people. Um, when, you, when you see somebody hurting, it's really easy to, to go to that person and talk to them and find out more about them and, you know, at the end of it say, how can I be praying for you? Uh, there, are, there are a lot of different ways that, that you can preach the gospel at work and, and be on mission. And so that's, that, that's you know, what Paul says here. He, he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ. It's God's will that, uh, that we do that. Um, so it's not just the life of and not the life dictated by or the life told to live, not the life side by side with Christ. It's not... Not Jesus or, or God is my, is my co-pilot. Um, we are living within Christ. Um, and, and I don't have all of the, all of the uh, um, verses up on the, up on the board, unfortunately, so you can either flip back or I'll actually include all of these in the notes that I'll send out uh, later today at some point. So uh, a good way to look at this, if you look at 1 Thessalonians, flip back a couple of pages, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified, made holy, living within Christ. And then going back forward again in, verse, uh, in chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, Test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So his will for your life is to be sanctified. And, and you know, many of you might still be at the point where you're trying to figure out what God's will is in your life. And it may be in a job situation, it may be in certain decisions that you need to make that you really want to do what God's will is. God's will is that you are sanctified. God's will is that you are living within Him. Right? Um, and uh, it, it's, it's you are set apart, you are made holy to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God and creating a legacy of faith that will carry on. And that is the promise of Christ Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's what Paul says there, that, that according to the promise of life that is in Christ. So each one of us, if, if you consider yourself a believer in here, um, each one of you have been guaranteed something. You've been, you've been given a promise of life. So it's that promise that, that, that former life that you had, whether it was a life of sin or whether it was a life of inaction or whatever it might be, when you came forward and accepted Christ as your Lord 
and Savior. You were promised eternal life within him. And, and so Paul, it, it, just in this first verse, he's, he's standing right there, not only in opposition to Nero, not only in opposition to the, the, uh, the external forces that are at work at that time against him, but he's standing up for Christ and saying right there that I am a sent person, sent by Jesus, sent by the will of God in order to live a life within the promise of Jesus Christ and to preach that message going forward. So he goes on to say to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul, as I mentioned, you know, back in Acts, um, Paul had, uh, had found Timothy and had taken him along the road, and so they had spent a lot of time together, um, a lot of very personal time, uh, a lot of uh, time just traveling, so there were hardships when they went through that, and so they became very, very close, it's assumed, close enough that he considers Timothy like his dear son, his beloved son, as, as some other uh, translations say. <clears throat> and, uh, well, we just made it through the first two verses. That was good. I uh, actually had, when I had first kind of run through this, I think I was on the first verse for probably 25 minutes, and I decided I needed to pair that back some. Uh, although I probably could have just rested on the word apostle for quite a while and, and living, a, living a sent life. So, um, so going on to, to verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So we don't know why Timothy shed tears, but this kind of shows the tender side of him. And... Um, me. And uh, it shows the tender side of Timothy. It may have been when, uh, when Paul left and Timothy might have cried at that point. We know in Acts 16, whenever Paul found Timothy and somebody said, you should take Timothy with you, Paul said, that's great, I'm going to do that. Let's go circumcise you and you can come and go with us. That might have been the point of tears right there. Uh, let's hope not because you know, Paul says, I, I recall that and I long to see you. And long to see your tears. Let's hopefully he's he's not recalling that time, but that could have been a good reason for crying. So Paul here is talking about living a legacy of faith, and he, he establishes this this parallel with Timothy, uh, as he says, "I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience." And and, and you know Paul's history. You know where he came from, and and who he was before. Uh, Jesus saved him before he was, he was saved. Um, and, and he recalls his forefathers as uh, very strong, faithful men. And so now at this point, he's coming before everybody, and he's gone before Christ and says, I have a clear conscience. I'm not going to recall anything that's in my past. And now, some of you may be struggling with that. You may be struggling with something that is in your past uh, that that is holding you back from coming to Jesus fully. And, and, and he died to erase that. 
That, that's the exciting thing about this, is you don't have to rest in that. You don't have to, you don't have to rest on, on, uh, in what you've done in the past. It's all been completely wiped away. Right? That sin, maybe it was a one individual sin that is in your life. Maybe it was a completely sinful past. Maybe it's something that you've done to somebody else. Maybe it's something that somebody has done to you. You don't have to live within that. God has given you the, the power to overcome that and to have a clear conscience when you come before him. So Paul says, you know, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He remembers Timothy and he desires, as, as his beloved son, he desires to pass on this message to Timothy. He desires to stand right where he is, even though he's in prison, even though he's being persecuted, you know, by the fear of, 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 of pain and death, that you know, something bad is going to happen. And so he desires to pass this message on and, and tell Timothy, Here's, you have a legacy of faith. Live within that legacy of faith. Timothy's father was actually uh, was Greek, and his, it was his mother and his grandmother who were, were, were Jewish at that time. And so there was a legacy that started with, with the mother uh, and the grandmother that, that passed down to, to Timothy. And, and we're all in that position today, especially as parents, right, that we all, we're called to, to pass on this legacy of faith, to pass on this, this message. You know, I've got... My, my family is kind of scattered around. I have a couple of kids here in the front and, and, and one over there that I'm extremely, extremely proud of because they have a very strong faith. And, and, you know, for men especially, I think this is extremely important, for your kids to see you reading your Bible. Quiet time is fantastic. You know, there's, there's been times when I've gotten up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I've sat in the family room and spent time in the Word, spent time in prayer, and it's been fantastic. But more importantly, that your children see you reading your Bible. More, more importantly, that you, that you pray with your children when you can, as often as you can. It, it's, it's extremely important in order to pass down that, that legacy of faith. You know, th- this morning, um, we were back here in the back, as every morning we, we, uh, it, it's done before, uh, before service starts. Everybody gathers uh, back in the back room. And praise before the service. Um, and uh, my, my, my youngest son, Warren, who's eight, came back there too to, to, to hang out with us and just to be with me. And uh, um, so you know, Shane opened up the prayer and started praying, and I was going to close it, and anybody else who felt led to pray could pray. And uh, Warren, who's eight years old, spoke up to pray, which just blew me away. You know, I, I was... it. It brought me to tears, knowing that my son was there, knowing what was important, that this morning went well, and that nothing bad happened. We might have should have prayed for that amp back there in the back specifically. But it's that legacy of faith that we pass on, and, it, and, it's, and it's my other kids who, who talk about their faith to others, and that's that legacy that we want to pass on to our children. You know, it, and some of us might come from a position where you don't have much to pass on to your kids. You know, you don't have uh, a lot of wealth or anything to, to put into a will to pass on or might not have the possessions to pass on, but you have the wealth of your faith that is in Christ in order to pass on. 
And what better a, a, what better a thing to pass on, what better an inheritance to pass on is for your kids to see you reading the Bible, for your kids to be baptized, for your kids to be, uh, to be, to be saved by Christ, and then to go on and lead others to Christ, to go on and live a life of faith that they have been called to live. And then eventually at, same po- at some point, we all get to be in heaven together. You know, it, it, it just amazes me. I think when I think about that, I don't hold on to things so tightly in this life. When I know that, uh, that I'm passing down a legacy of faith to my children, and, and we all are going to have eternal life according to that promise that is in Christ Jesus, because we have all been saved. And so, you know, men especially, uh, because historically it's been the women that have passed on, uh, that, have, that, that pray with the kids by their bedside or read the Bible stories with them. And, and so, men, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to, to do that. But that's my, my, my challenge, my encouragement to, to, uh, to everybody out there, but to the men especially. Make sure your kids see you reading the Bible. Make sure your kids see you praying and that you're praying with your children and that you are passing on that, uh, that legacy of, of faith. So, uh, regardless of what, uh, what Paul had done um, and who he was prior to, to identifying himself in Christ, his conscience is clear of that. He knows that he's been forgiven. He knows that the debt has been paid. His trans- transgressions wiped away. Um, and that he is living within, within Christ. And that, that changes you. When, you. when you take that stand, when you accept Christ for the first time, there's excitement, right? In a lot of people, there's, there's this, uh, just this passion that is there to say, you know, this is what God has done for me in my life. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have all of my sin in the past has been wiped away. I am a new person. I am a new creation in Christ. And then sometimes as we go throughout life, as, as we get a little older and things start to settle down, the passion might not so much be there anymore. And, and, but we are called to rekindle that passion. We are called to, to bring it back out and be passionate people, live passionate lives, sent on a mission for the glory of God. Amen? So we are to go out there and do this living within Christ. And, and God has empowered us to do that. As Paul goes on in, in verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of, foul, spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So we have this within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us to do more than what we've ever thought possible before. You know, fear can come in a number of ways. Fear could be coming up on stage and, and speaking to people. It could be uh, leaving your house in the morning. It could be uh, fear of, of, of watching the news and of learning of, of things that are going on in the world. Fear could be, uh, could be just a, a number of different things. But God has given us the power to overcome that fear. And he's telling us that, here Paul is telling us to fan into flame the gift of God. So as I studied this, I was, I was uh, laying on the uh, living room, or on the family room floor. And we have, a, we have a wood stove in our family room that heats the house. And so it's probably about one o'clock in the morning. So the fire had, 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 had really died down. And, 
And I was reading this, and I was praying a lot, and I was staring into the fire. And I was looking at the coals that were in there that were burning red hot, right? There wasn't a flame present, but that, that heat was there, just burning red hot. And I thought, you know, thank you, God, that you just gave me this message because that is the Holy Spirit living within us, right? It is a bright, red, burning, hot coal that lives within us. But if we don't apply it to something, then it will eventually burn out, right? So, so, so fire is, is uh, you know, the, the flame is the, is the visible part of the heat, right? And, and you need a couple of things to create a fire. You need a fuel, and then you need the, the, the oxidizer part. Then this chemical reaction takes place that creates fire. So, so we have this burning coal sitting there in the wood stove, and, and as soon as I open the door and put a log on it, and, and push the little slide-in deal to kind of create the, flan, the, the flame to fan it up, the log just burst into flames. And I thought, how true is that with the Holy Spirit that lives within us? We can walk around all day long with a burning red-hot coal inside of our chest and not do anything about it, and it'll eventually burn out. But that oxidizer, that other part, you know, that, the Holy Spirit being the fuel, the oxidizer that is out there is the world around us. You know, Roman, Romans 12, 2 says, uh, says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformed, not conforming to this world. So we look out there, the needs of this world are great. It's all over the place. And we take those needs and you use those as that oxidizer that, that helps carry that flame, that burns that flame even brighter, right? Instead of just carrying it around and not doing anything with it. So God desires that for our lives as being this, this missionary, this sent person, sent individual in the power of Christ that, that we, we go forward with our faith, that we go forward with the Holy Spirit within us. And that, that right there can overcome some of that fear that you might have with telling other people about your faith. And I think many of us have been in the position where, where we think to ourselves, oh, this would be a good time to talk about Jesus. And it doesn't happen. And we don't, we don't do it. You know, we've probably all been in that position. If not, praise God, that's awesome, that's great. But we've been in that position where we've had that spirit of fear. But Paul says... We have not been given that spirit of fear. We've been given a power of, of love. We've been given a power of, of, of self-control. And we've been given uh, not a spirit of fear, um, but a spirit of peace. So the opposite of fear is not courage. So I, I had to really think about this one. Because is, is, right off the top of my head, I thought, well, the opposite of fear is courage. Courage is an action. Fear is a state of mind, Right? So the opposite of fear is peace. Peace. God's given us a spirit of peace. So, so courage can be, uh, you know, that, that is the action that you take sometimes within that, uh, within that time of fear. But having that spirit of peace brings about so much in your life. And, and sometimes as, uh, um, you know, depending on what your fears are and what you're afraid of, and you don't really think about that peace. You think that, that I've got to have the courage to, to overcome this. But that courage has already been given through that spirit of peace when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. 
So all of that has been, has been completely wiped away, and there, there is no reason to fear. No, no need to fear anything going forward. So we fan into flame um, the, the gift of God and the Holy Spirit within our lives. Um, and, it, and it's that has to be done outside of the church, right? It's good to come in here and, and get fueled up, uh, to come in here and do praise and worship and, and, and raise our hands to God, to heaven, to pray, uh, to sing, uh, to pray with others and be prayed for, to listen to, to a message and, and get fueled back up. But that fuel right there is what flames the fire that, that we take out into the world as, as that sent people. Uh, so, so God desires us to carry that on, uh, to take it out into the world. Uh, Isaiah 32, 16-17. I'm not sure if we have that up on the, on, the, on the slide or not. A lot of this kind of comes to me at the last moment. As somebody was saying, well, how do, you pre- how do you prepare for this? And I said, well, I do the best I can, and then God changes it at the last minute. Um, it happens quite often. So Isaiah 16, 17 Justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. If God's will for our lives is, uh, is to be sanctified, to live a holy life that is, that is holy and pleasing to Him, the effect of that is righteousness. and The effect of that is peace in our lives. So Timothy, or uh, Paul rather, goes on in, uh, in verse 8 and says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have been entrusted to him for that day. Living a life of not being ashamed. Um, and and you know, doing whatever it is within the power that God gives us. The power to think wisely and clearly. Um, the power to not be ashamed. Uh, and we are faced with, with three basic ways of public identifi- identification with Christ, because shame often comes out within a public context, right, where, where we don't say something or are in action. So it's uh, through the, these three basic ways of public identification with Christ is, is through the speech and lifestyle, our affirmation of God's work in us and our agreement with him. And that's where shame often shows itself through silence, through, through not saying anything. And you may have been in that position before as well, where, where somebody has stood up for what they believe in, and, and maybe they're an agnostic or an atheist, or, or they have some 
beliefs that are not doctrinal truths to Christianity. And they have come right out and said, well, this is what I believe. And it's your silence, my silence, is our silence at that time where we're showing our shame in the gospel. And we are called to take that stand right there and stand up for what we believe in. And, and it might not be a posture of opposition. You know, it might not be, be uh, where we are in somebody's face uh, because that's only going to turn people off. But we are standing up, not being silent, not being ashamed and saying, well, let me tell you the truth as I see it. Let me tell you the truth as the Bible sees it and as millions of Christians across the world see it. So another way we identify with Christ is through solidarity with his people, uh, especially those who, who suffer on his behalf. And sometimes the people that we associate with reflect on us. Um, and, and I think as, as kids, you might talk to your kids like this. I remember uh, my, uh, my parents saying this to me often, that it, it's those kids that I'm around that reflects on me. And so I might have been a really good person, but you know, little Joey next to me who, who, was, who was a rotten kid reflects poorly on me. You know? so, so you be careful with who you associate with. Uh, and who you stand in solidarity more so with. So I, I have a lot of atheist friends, and we have some of the best conversations. Um, and, and I stand with those guys as friends. We don't stand for the a solidarity in the same, believing in the same things, that's for sure. Um, but I stand next to them because I love them as, as my friends. So the third means of identification is with the message, the proclamation of God's truth in Christ's life. Um, and this is to not speak of the truth, holding back from living it to regard the gospel with, with shame and dishonor. And, and Paul says, do not be ashamed, but stand up and testify to it. Stand up and live within the power of Christ that, that you have been given. Stand up for it and, uh, and not, not necessarily in opposition to in a negative way, but opposition to uh, the, the opposite of the truth, right? Guard the message and remember it. Paul says, he says, When you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That flame, that fire. And it doesn't, doesn't foster, it doesn't grow without us taking that stand, without us uh, uh, trying to even spread that message. But first, you, you, you've got to realize that, that you're living within the power of Christ and what he has done for you in your life. And you hold on to that. That's, that's the, the doctrinal truths that are, that are within the Bible that Paul is talking about, is standing in that. You know, as, I, as I've said, that that standing is, is uh, um, you know, oftentimes in opposition to something. So we look at some of the modern day uh, examples within movies, for instance. And say, you look at Mel Gibson's character in Braveheart, right? Where he's standing in opposition to the tyranny of, of the king of England. Uh, or, or you look at uh, the, uh, the president of, in, in, in the movie Independence Day, right? If you've ever seen that, where at the very end of the movie... Right before he climbs into the the the, uh, the fighter jet, he's standing in opposition to the aliens. Right, he doesn't know that they're going to survive any longer. 
And, and you know, people stand up and they give these heartfelt speeches that can move you to tears. They're standing in opposition to that. And I thought about this as I, as I was thinking about you know, obviously different movie examples and just trying to think of a modern day example. And the one that I could remember that every time I think of it, because I, I see it so, it's, it's so visual in my mind, is, is 9-11, right? When the president stood on the rubble and he started to speak and he was surrounded by all these people and someone in the back shouted, we can't hear you. And he said, I can hear you. He said, I can hear all of you. And the people who are knocked down these buildings are going to hear all of us really soon. That was such a moving moment within that. He was standing in opposition to the tyranny, standing in opposition to what, what people did during 9-11. And so sometimes, though we're not called to that level of standing or with that posture of, of, of being so upfront and so forward, and, and the posture of opposition, sometimes we're called to a posture of submission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, uh, a pastor during World War II in, uh, in Nazi Germany, uh, fantastic guy to read about, and just some amazing, amazing stories. Uh, I have, the, the book is huge, I haven't even made it through the whole thing, but it's a fantastic book. Um, but there was something in there that caught my eye this past week um, that I, I thought was just so telling with this. And he says, um, this was right before he was arrested by the Gestapo and, and sentenced to, to death and, and was murdered. Um, and uh, Dietrich said, Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and an exclusive allegiance to God, the responsible man, who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and the call of God. Who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and to the call of God. So us standing is not always that defiant stand it's not always that, that uh, in opposition to, that sometimes standing is done like this, in complete obedience, in complete submission to Christ and the power of the cross. And this, this grips me. This really, really grips me. Because we often stand, we, we, we want to stand up so straight and tall, and we are so proud but God calls us to submit and to obey. So my question for you is, is, what is your posture of standing? Is it gut sucked in, chest up proud, standing tall, being defiant? Or is it a posture of submission and obedience to, work that Christ, to the work that Christ has done on the cross? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message that you have given us to Timothy from Paul. For the words that you have, uh, that you have given Paul that, uh, that he is an apostle, that he stands firmly in his faith, that he wants to live a, a legacy of faith and pass that legacy on to Timothy. Lord, you have done so much in our lives. You have given us a spirit of of, uh, of power, a spirit of self-control, and have removed a, 
a spirit of fear and a spirit of, of timidity. And you have given us a message to go give to others. And so we pray, Lord, that, that we are not ashamed of that. That we stand on our knees in submission to you, in obedience to your message, in obedience to your will and your call in our life. And we pray, Lord, that you make our lives an answer to the question and to the call of what you have for us. Jesus, we love you. There's, there's just it, it amazes me the grace that you offer us, the mercy that you have offered us for, for, for all of the stuff that you have wiped away in our life with the work that you have done on the cross for us, for each one of us, individually, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we are in our walk, where we are in our life, you did it for us. And so, Father, we stand in opposition to, to the, the, the world and us conforming to the world, and we stand on our knees in obedience and complete submission to you and to your gospel. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.